It's Monday, March 21st, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Global Gains, Tim Hansen, from income investor James Early, and from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Mann. Guys, happy Monday. Thank happy you, Monday, Chris. We've got a big telecom acquisition, news about Citigroup's stock, and Twitter's birthday. But once again, we will begin overseas. There is continuing unrest in the Middle East, but the nuclear situation in Japan appears to be stabilizing. And speaking of Japan, that's my awkward transition, Warren Buffett was in South Korea on business and said that despite the events of the past 10 days, he's not looking at Japan's economic future any differently and that the events, quote, offer a buying opportunity. Tim Hansen, I'll start with you. You agree? Well, you know, Japan's economic future wasn't super bright before this happened. So it's it's not necessarily, you know, this isn't like you're getting a 30% haircut on a great growth story. But I think Buffett is correct in looking at um, a number of Japanese companies that have been unfairly sold off, in my opinion, over the past uh, week or so. Obviously, there's no reason to make light of the, the tragic events in Japan or the, or the still looming risk for, for, for nuclear uh, disaster. But it looks like they're getting some of these things under control. And there are a lot of Japanese companies that are that are multinationals doing a really nice job of expanding in Asia, um, you know. And you think about something like a fast retailing, which I, I think I talked about last week, mm-hmm. you know, which runs a retail chain called Uniqlo, and they've got a you know a flagship store in New York, and they're very big in Japan right now. But they're expanding in Asia. They've got a really popular concept, and you know their their clothes are better tailored for sort of the Asian. Um, body type versus Western retailers who somewhat struggle when they go abroad because the clothes just don't fit the same. It's not the same, you know, fashion. It's when, you know, different parts of the world have different tastes and, and Uniqlo hits on that. I James. ordered a French uh, shirt one time and I think it comes down to my belly button. It's like super wide. So interesting. Yeah, not, not a Japan connection directly, <laughs> but on the, on the body type. Th- thank you for not uh, wearing that today. <laughs> my wife calls or, it a half shirt. Or ever. <laughs> <laughs> but Buffett, I, I agree with Tim. Buffett says any differently, but I don't think. I don't know that that necessarily means a lot. He doesn't own that much, if anything, in Japan right now to begin with, if I'm not mistaken. And I would say I'm more of a skeptic on the Japanese economy. Uh, Economically, Japan has been in the doldrums for a while. It's like a runner who's just finished running a marathon, and now he's trying to run a sprint. In (laughs) 1989. Exactly. Bill, what do you think? Well, I think that Tim's right that over the last— Wow, consensus. Yeah, I should go home now. (laughs) Over the last week, uh, Japan has probably been sold off unfairly. Over the last 20 years, it's been sold off quite fairly. Um, the Japanese uh, have, have been really horrible at going through some of the very simple corporate uh, improvements that they could do in terms of looking at things other than just growth for uh, for the, for their companies. I mean, Japanese companies are unaccountable to their shareholders, and so they don't do things like worry about return on capital. I mean, there are a few Japanese companies that we've looked at before, and we're you know we're we're excited about them because they have been sold off. But in terms of the Japanese economy, they have had much bigger problems than a natural disaster. I mean, they've had a man-made disaster for for 20 years. So while he was in South Korea, one of the other things Buffett talked about was acquisitions. Berkshire Hathaway just had the acquisition of Lubrizol, and he said, they're not done. They're still looking to make acquisitions. When you look at Japan, Tim, what is one company that you think is uh, Buffett-worthy in terms of an acquisition? Well, you know, Buffett's looking at you know businesses that have high uh, returns on capital, you know a management team with a big ownership stake that he can leave in place, and and all things being equal, you know a, a relatively good growth opportunity. Buffett is sort of more of a growth investor than a lot of people give him credit for. 
Um, so you know, I'll go back and and, and say you know, fast reeling, hit, fast retailing hits on all of those um, traits. As does Makita, which is a toolmaker, which could be interesting to him. You know, he bought um, Iskar in, in Israel, which is a little bit different, but you know, Makita is a very strong brand and, and sort of a consumer staple type item. I, at the end of the day, I think I agree with James that he's not actually going to follow up on his on his promise and buy anything in Japan. <laughs> uh, I don't see that happening. But you know, those are two companies that investors could be looking at if you've got a similar investing framework as Buffett. Bill. I tell you what he should look at, and it would fit in well with uh, with their existing holdings, is the bottling companies in Japan. There's uh, Coca-Cola West Japan, Tokyo Coca-Cola. There's the bottlers, and they actually have pretty good returns on capital. They are very much not growth companies, but they do return uh, good you – know, they, they, they have excellent returns for their shareholders, and they've gotten crunched. AT&T is acquiring T-Mobile for the cool sum of $39 billion. If the government approves the deal, AT&T would become the biggest mobile company in America. Bill, you're a telecom guy. What do you think about this deal? I'll tell you who's lost on that, this deal. It's, uh, it's CBS because <laughs> all, of the, all of the T-Mobile ads, you know, you, you've seen the, the annoying lady in the, uh, in the pink and white dress. These, I, re- I, oh, I, thought, to- I thought you were going to call Catherine Zeta-Jones annoying and I was yeah. gonna, you're going to the news spokes, spokesperson. I, I refer to her as the cute lady in the pink dress, but go on. <laughs> Probably, She's going to know pr- you any day. Probably wiser. All of their ads have been basically trashing AT and T. Yeah. So those ads are done. I mean, they're not going to run them for the rest of the the rest of the tournament. I don't, so I don't, maybe CBS has somebody else waiting to come in and take what's going to be pretty expensive ad time. But that's going to be pretty tough for them. Do you think this deal is going to go through? I think the deal will go through. Uh, I think the FCC and uh, the um, Federal Trade Commission will have something to say about it. You're going to have certain markets where they will have a very large percentage of of the market, perhaps in California. Uh, Ultimately, I think that the deal will go through. Well, AT&T has said they're ready to shed assets to make it happen. I think, you know, what they're really after is 3G and and ultimately 4G bandwidth uh, because they're running out of it because the iPhone is soaking up so much of it. This is really a deal of necessity for them because, you know, the applications for for bandwidth or spectrum, rather, are, are difficult to sort of they, – they couldn't get enough, so they had to go out and buy it, um, and, and they'll probably get rid of you know, the lower-quality assets to make sure they can keep supporting the iPhone. Yeah, they took out a loan from, of $20 billion from J.P. Morgan to, I think, fund about half the purchase price. What about uh, you know, Bill? You mentioned CBS being a loser. What about Sprint? I mean, Sprint. Our, our colleague Joe Mager made the comment that uh, Sprint's new ad campaign is just going to feature their CEO weeping. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think Sprint's going to turn out okay, simply because they own a huge amount of spectrum. I mean, Sprint from an operating basis is probably in trouble because they're marginalized. They're like the U.S. Airways of uh, of telecom now in terms of being. Really marginal uh, from a from a size perspective, given you know compared to their uh, competitors, I think that they will ultimately be okay. The other companies that have gotten hit today are the tower companies, and I think that that's probably unfair as well because the way the towers work, I mean, you need these assets, you need you you, you need the extra bandwidth, and I don't know that AT and T is going to run and take down equipment off of uh, off of the towers. No, I don't think they're going to do that. But for Sprint, you know, sometimes it's a blessing in disguise to not get to make the acquisition. And they were rumored to be buying T-Mobile. You know, and, and this is an expensive deal. Yeah. Anyway, you slice it and you look at you know, mobile pricing and what the trend is in mobile pricing is that even though people are upgrading to more and more high-tech phones that you know, look more expensive, 
you know, rates are, are falling. There's a lot of pressure on these, you know, all-you-can-eat data plans and those sorts of things. It's not a great business to be in because the pricing pressure is so severe. But don't the falling prices on the data plans, doesn't that actually help AT&T when they're making their case? Because already today we've seen consumer advocate groups come out and say, oh, this is going to be a monopoly. And Sure, it'll help them make their case to get the deal to go through. That doesn't mean the deal is going to end up being a good one yeah. you know, for the company. I'm excited. I mean, I'm currently a, a T-Mobile subscriber. <laughs> And our network is terrible outside of big cities, and apparently AT and T is gonna is gonna help with that. But you know, my rates—I mean, I haven't I, my phone bill hasn't gone up in five years. Wait, it's wait, gone wait, down. wait. Maybe you haven't seen the ads. <laughs> Citigroup plans to reinstate a quarterly dividend after launching a one for ten reverse stock split. Uh, James, let's start with the dividend part of that sentence first. Sure. Well, let's put this all in perspective, Chris. The, the, the dividend is going to be a penny per share, Woo! which is not much. Token. <laughs> cannot pay more until yeah. 2012 unless it gets special approval by the Fed, the Treasury, and the FDIC. The other banks can pay more, not Citigroup. Um, sir, I, I like dividends. I'm happy to see dividends. And Citigroup did pay back the TARP. But the only thing I would object to is any notion that Citigroup does – uh, did something that, that deserves special credit here. They didn't. They were rescued by the government, and they're doing better now. It's sort of the equivalent of a kid trying to hit a pinata, and the adult like, you know, moves it right in front of the bat and, and slices it open just so he, he breaks it. <laughs> you know, so and Citigroup's now celebrating. Yay! Look at all this loot we have. Candy. Yes, James, it sounds exactly like that. <laughs> and then there's right a shotgun, and then and then <laughs> an abusive stepfather. And, <laughs> yeah, but that, that's what's going on here. So it's 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 hey, it's good, but but it was handed to them. Um, they, they're here because they were big and incompetent. If they were small and incompetent, they would not be here. Sort of like Bill Mann. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's not very. I know. Nice. I'm sorry. You're still mad about the Georgetown. Yeah. Tim, bitter Monday. Tim, Bill, which one of you wants to take the first whack at the one for ten reverse stock split? I got, I got to say, if Citigroup is competing to most resemble an over-the-counter bulletin board stock, <laughs> this is the cherry on top of that Sunday. I mean, you've got yeah, emptor. Exactly. I mean, these reverse stock splits. You know, for people who don't know what they are, you're essentially, you know, turning. 10 shares into one share. The price, How about a pizza analogy? The, the price goes up 10x. Nobody, nothing, nothing else beneficial happens. It makes it a little more appealing to some institutions. But uh, these things are headlines for reasons that I can't fathom. Yeah, it, makes it, a, it actually makes it a lot more uh, appealing for institutions. A lot of institutions can't hold shares that are below $5 a share. And a lot of institutions don't get the, uh, the, the, the a la carte pricing plans. They pay per share for what they trade. And so this actually lowers the trading costs a little bit, so perhaps would lower the friction. And they've got Citigroup has plenty of volume. So, you know, it's 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 probably actually a marginally good thing, but it doesn't from an economic standpoint, it doesn't make that much difference. And finally, five years ago today, Twitter co founder Jack Dorsey fired off the very first tweet. Five years later, Twitter has four hundred employees 200 million users, 360 million in financing, and one big challenge, and that is, of course, turning those tweets into profits. Uh, let's just go down the line in 140 characters or less. Bill Mann, where will Twitter be five years oh, from Oh, in tweet form. Yes. Happy birthday, Twitter, and your business is what? <laughs> Tim Hansen? Uh, public struggling but with a very active Yahoo Finance message board. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Yahoo. <laughs> Hashtag insane. <laughs> James? Bought by Facebook, sound of toilet flushing. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't think we can improve on that. <laughs> James Early, Bill Mann, Tim Hanson. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.